give a special hand clap to Brother Larry Pius for doing such a wonderful job. Join me in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through 22 is what I want to read this morning, this afternoon rather. Acts chapter 14, verses 19 through Acts chapter 14, beginning at verse 19. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he arose and entered the city. And the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Amen. You may be seated. Continuing along with the theme, the warrior's power life, part two, we want to sort of dig into this episode in the life of Paul as we move toward the climax that we started with in Acts 16, verses 25 and 26. Those two verses convey to us that at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang hymns unto God. And I raise the question before we get to the celebration of what they did as a response to the challenge of incarceration, incarceration what led them to respond with such a reaction? And I backpedaled a bit and began to look at episodes in chapter 14, and I want to highlight this one because I think that we can see ourselves continually in the context of this episode. She is undoubtedly one of the most unnamed and yet unrecognized figures in the civil rights movement. Her status of what she has done for us historically stands her alongside the labor of Martin King and Malcolm X, Medgar Evers as well as Rosa Parks, James Farmer, Stokey Carmichael and many others. You may never witness nor know the name of Amelia Boynton Robinson because they will not appear 
in bright lights. You may never see her name or hear of her name attached to a public school, nor to a highway or a street or a community facility, or to a building on the grounds of a higher education institution named in her honor. She is what I call an unsung shero, and yet her contribution to our ableness to exercise the Voting Rights Act of 1965 is paramount. Her efforts to help organize the march from Selma to Montgomery on March the 7th, 1965, galvanized her name in civil rights history. Right alongside representative from Georgia, John Lewis, and Rosa Parks, Miss Boynton made her walk with other demonstrators to get across the Edmund Pettus Bridge into Dallas County that they may protest the continual injustice of racial segregation and the disenfranchisement of blacks of the segregation period. Later in the year, I hope to be able to bring back before you what is probably often left the untold story of the thousands of white Americans who stood the test of time in even giving their lives that we might have an opportunity of somewhat of equal justice. There were many white Americans who gave themselves in the freedom rides as well as stood in the midst of the stonings that many blacks experienced in Selma, Montgomery, and even Mississippi, and yet they are often galvanized by demonism because they are Caucasian. We must be willing to admit that there were some who saw no color, but who saw the humanity in all and were even willing to risk their lives to do so. They attempted to cross the Pettus Bridge, and in doing so, they were met with county and state police who attempted to terrorize as well as brutalize both black and white citizens who took the opportunity to change the condition of people who were legally opposed and oppressed at every turn. Ms. Boynton was ushered into the spotlight when she attempted to cross the Pettus Bridge with others and was met and struck by a officer on horseback who struck her twice, one across the back of her shoulders and then across the back of her neck, which eventually rendered her unconscious. In essence, the oppressor left her for dead on the bridge, thinking that her voice for justice would be silent and her steps for justice would be stopped. But what Eva was not aware of that I would credit God had a man there on the bridge in the march who was photographing the movement. And what he did was he saw 
Miss Boynton laying there on the bridge took a photograph and later had it traveled throughout the world. And although they failed to cross that bridge on that particular day, two additional attempts later crossing the bridge and turning back, they eventually on the next effort crossed the bridge and made their way into Montgomery after being assisted by federal authorities. That Sunday is known to us as Bloody Sunday because many shed their blood that we might have a right to what's called the Voting Rights Act. They were willing to sacrifice the moment that we might experience the eternality of the moment. They gave themselves in pushing to construct and to have the Voting Rights Act signed in 1965 of August. What's amazing about this story is the guest of honor who was present at the signing of the Voting Rights Act by Lyndon Johnson, president of the time, was no other than Amelia Bonton, whose image stuck in the minds of people across the world, particularly in America, who probably previously had no words to say at all, but who saw the image of injustice in a steeled moment that captured their spirit and caused them to cry out, enough is enough, something has to be done. Although she transitioned into glory on, April, on August 26, 1965, at the ripe age of 104, her life depicts the meaning of experiencing the opportunity that will be met by opposition and the oppressor. Yet, she had the last laughed because she was given an ovation by God as she employed a fighter's mentality and a stern focus and she managed to exercise a finishing spirit and now demonstrates the power that lived on the inside of her life. If you read her autobiography, you will notice that she credits that power to the person of Jesus Christ as she was raised as a child in the church. That same power enabled her to witness and survive the death of three husbands, giving birth to two children, and yet crowning her eventually from Tuskegee Institute then, now university, with a degree in home economics, only to go back to the very town in Selma that sought to oppress and destroy her and to teach children how to economically prepare themselves through simplistic modes in the home. She is without question my unsung Shiro. For me, when I look at history, because someone else told us and inspired us to place Martin King at the forefront 
as the hero of the movement. I strongly disagree, not to minimize his contribution, but there are those in the background who really labored to make this movement work. And one of those happened to be Miss Amelia Boynton. Next week, I want to talk about Representative John Lewis, who is still the living testimony and legacy of the civil rights movement. We ought not be limited to February to talk about these paramount figures in our journey. For we are blessed to still have Representative Lewis with us and can tell us some stories about what it means to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Last week we learned that Paul was demonstrating to us how to handle oppression and opposition. For you remember that everywhere, in fact if you read Acts 14, in Acts 16, everywhere that Paul, along with his companions, move, they often keep encountering opposition and oppression, only to recognize when you read the history and how it plays itself out, it's God yet utilizing what was meant for evil as an opportunity to open doors that Paul may continue to evangelize in the name of Jesus Christ. There is an indication in this kind of movement that oppression and opposition, no matter how strong it is, cannot overcome the opportunity that God provides when his hand is in the mix. In fact, let me recall Gamaliel's statement as those who were trying to later oppress and suppress Paul by suggesting that he be brought to Nero to stand before him on false accusations, Gamaliel made it clear to those who were religious persecutors, if this thing that these Christians and Paul are doing be of God, there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. In fact, they strongly encourage, if it be of God, take your hands off of it. Because no matter what you do, God will have the last word. But if this thing is not of God, you don't have to worry about it. It will die in its own season. And maybe Paul's movement is suggesting unto us that if God be for us, who can possibly stand against us? And in everywhere that Paul moves, we find God given not only the opportunity against the opposition, and it's responding to the oppression, but God gives an ovation as an exclamation point to remind Paul there is a reward for the labor that you encounter for doing the work of evangelism. When we get to this text, what's fascinating about it for me is the fact that folk traveled from Iconian all the way down to Lystra to find Paul and to do what they did. Now, it wouldn't have been hard to find Paul because he would have been in one of two places very easily to discover. One, he would have been in a community where there were the called out ones he would later describe as a church, ecclesia. Or you will find him in a synagogue either teaching or listening to the proclamation of the word. So they didn't have to work hard 
to find Paul, but notice what verse 19 says of Acts 14. When they find him, they manage to come down from Iconia and they manage, says the text, to win over the citizens of the town. They needed momentum to help their story because their story alone would not have been good enough to stand the test. We can't see it now, but when I look back at the Edmund Pettus Bridge, I come to realize all of the marching and even some of the set-ins that were taking place before the Pettus Bridge just did not have enough thump to it to at least impress those who were observing that something needed to be done in reference to injustice. Not until that still photo of Miss Bornton on that bridge was the win over momentum that caused people around the world to recognize that injustice somewhere is injustice everywhere. And somehow something has to be done to make that correction. Paul's preaching is what got him in trouble. His telling the story of Jesus and more importantly, the reward of his labor in winning souls to the kingdom of God. When he went to Lystra, when you read back in chapter 14, what created the disturbance was Paul managed to come in town and they found a man who had been in a situation to which no one else apparently was able to address. He had been crippled from birth. And all Paul and Silas, as well as others did, was show up and just talked about the name of Jesus. And it changed the man's life. So much so that it created disturbance that the religious and persecutors found a way to run Paul out of town. You got him out of town isn't that good enough? But instead, they left Iconian, came down to Lystra, and found him again, and says, verse 19, in winning over others, they dragged him out of town and then stoned him to death. So they thought. They made the critical, crucial mistake of thinking Paul was dead. When you read the New American Standard, it says, supposing Paul to be dead. What they should have done was took a moment to verify what they were doing. They should have stopped and checked his pulse or checked his heart rate to make sure that he was ceased and concluded, but instead they threw stones on him thinking that the stones would be the finality. It's almost like the story, you've heard it before, of the hole that has been dug and the donkey thrown into the hole. And the thinking that the hole would be the finality of the donkey, only to realize that every time they throw a shovel of dirt in the hole, the donkey's got enough unction to not allow itself to be overcome by the stoning or the shovels of dirt, but took the dirt and turned it around and used it for its own good. So every shovel that they threw in, rather than to bow down and succeed and concede to the persecution at hand, 
He just simply stood up on every shovel of dirt that they gave him. Suggesting unto us that every time they throw a stone at you, let them think that you are dead. That's all good. But just simply stand on every stone that they throw on you and let it be the stepping stone to your own deliverance. For they suppose Paul to be dead. But they made the mistake. They didn't double check to see if they actually had knocked Paul out of the race. Now, maybe the stoning itself probably should have destroyed Paul. But what they didn't further anticipate, what would happen to Paul once he had been stoned. Read the text closely. It says that when they had dragged him out of the city and supposing him to be dead, there's the impartation of Luke of a conjunction. But, but while the disciples stood around Paul. See, what happened was, we don't know how much time elapsed, so I've got to kind of play with my own spiritual imagination. I don't know if they were there firsthand witnessing Paul's being stoned, or if they got word secondhand that Paul had been stoned but the good thing is however it occurred the disciples came to Paul's assistance and stood around him what his oppressors didn't bank on was somebody coming to Paul's rescue they kind of felt that just because they stoned Paul that would be the end of who Paul is his conclusion would be imminent not realizing that when the disciples came and stood around Paul, their standing was a strong representation that God will always send help in the time of trouble. Now, Paul's conclusion may have been, I would prefer if God had showed up before the stoning took place. But he may not come when you want him. But when I read this story, I discovered he's always on time. There's a sneaky suspicion that maybe if God had been a minute later by not sending these disciples, it could have took Paul's life. But God doesn't work with could have because God is a God of certainty and because he's certain he knew just when to send the disciples who would stand around him. Have you ever had one of them times when you were pressed against the wall and oppression were beating you down and the opposition was rising strongly against you and you kind of wondered when God would show up and yet right when you think all strength was depleted all hope was gone, all inspiration had expired, just when you were about to throw in the towel, somebody showed up and said to themselves as they said to you, I just thought I need to call you, you were on my mind. I don't know about you, but I kind of figure in my own imagination that these disciples stood around Paul and they may not have known the language of my ancestors, but in their own way, they looked under heaven and say, Father, I stretch my hands unto thee. No other help do we know because if thou withdraw thy help from us, 
there is absolutely nowhere that we can go. They did not arrive there to take an assessment of Paul's injury. They knew that Paul didn't need an assessment of the injury right now. He needed deliverance and he needed somehow to get up from where he was. And what did they do? I believe they lifted their eyes unto the hills from whence came their help and started calling on the name of God. And can't you see yourself in this text? Being stoned in a moment in which they have left you for injury. And here it is, Paul is transitioned from a physical injury in this moment of stoning to a spiritual intercession by the disciples who gather around him. He moves from the mere aspect of being humanly assaulted to now being spiritually inspired. They consulted the chief physician by intercession and yet they show us, see yourself in this text. There they are, people through the course of the week who exercise mean spirits, who in life sometimes throws us an unfair consequence, and we are stoned at work and stoned at home and stoned in the community and stoned for our opinions with pain and depression and heartbreak, and we are stoned sometimes at the doctor's office with a frightening diagnosis, and it's intention by evil is to leave us for dead. And yet, whether we are at church or at home, when it comes to being injured by life, God always has a ram in the bush. He always sends some disciple who will gather around us and begin to intercede. That's the reason why prayer is so vital and prayer time is so vital. When you embrace it in your life, something will happen when you permit prayer to be a part of your daily movement. Look at the text closely and look what happens. When the disciples, verse 19, had gathered around in 20 and stood around Paul, look at clause B. When they gathered around Paul and I believe interceded for him, the Bible says he stood after being stoned and injured, he stood up. And he stood up because somebody prayed for him, had him on their mind, and took the time to pray for him. He stood up because he moved from being physically injured to now experiencing spiritual intercession. But watch this. He now moves from spiritual intercession to now experiencing divine inspiration. As he is being stoned underneath the stone, something is happening in his unconscious. Here's what I mean by that. You ever had one of those moments where you went to bed extremely burdened out of a situation 
and so burdened to the point where all you could actually muster up was the strength just to get some sleep. But somewhere in you going to sleep and you waking up the next morning, there's a transition that took place that cleared your unconsciousness. It's as if God showed up in your dreams to certainly inspire and to assure you that this too will pass. And that although weeping might endure for the night, watch this, so you went to sleep at 11.59 previous light, but something happened at 12, 12.01 in the next morning when joy began to reappear and when you woke up it's as if you never had a burden in your life because it appears to be somebody had come in the midnight hour and lifted the burden from your shoulder and when you got up the next morning you looked at your hands and they looked new you looked at your feet and they did too and your entire demeanor had a different approach and you felt like you could run on in Jesus name although the previous night you had a heavy burden but on the next morning God had done something with your joy and had done something with your peace and had given you a fresh infusion of his power I'm just trying to tell you God can work while you are under the stones and revive your mind and revive your spirit and restore your soul I hear the Bible says they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength they shall mount up with wings like eagle and I don't know about you but an eagle don't hang around under stones an eagle flies high above the stones and if I'm an eagle flyer that means the stone can't keep me down but I gotta let God inspire me to spread my wings and when he does that he wakes me up with a new joy and wakes me up with a new testimony and wakes me up with running in my feet and I gotta crawl out of bed not in a state of oppression but but I got to shout the joy of the Lord is my strength and this is the day that the Lord has me I will rejoice I said I will rejoice I said I will rejoice and be glad in it because the God that I serve specializes in taking the stones off one by one and I don't know about you but I've had to shake off some stones in this journey but thank God he gave me the power to throw off the stones and no matter what depression no matter what oppression no matter matter what insinuation evil brings about God lifts a stone and every day he lifts a stone from my burden and if I were you I would stand on my feet and say Lord I thank you for being my stone lifter for lifting the stone off of my back every single time here it is right here in the text Here's where the devil messes up. When they stone me through the week, they're either marked by ignorance or forgetfulness is setting in their mind that they forgot. At the end of the week for them is the beginning of the week for me. That's the reason why Good Friday 
is Good Friday because it's marked by a crucifixion. It's called Good Friday because for evil, it's a bad day. But for those who are being oppressed, it's a good day. They don't know that when it comes time for me to get off on Friday, after I done took all the stones that they've thrown during the week, I got to recuperate on Saturday, but listen, something's going to happen when I make my way to the first day of the week on Sunday morning to the place called church. That's why I'm convinced that every time Jesus moved into a new town and every time Paul goes to a new town, the first place that they try to find where it is is a synagogue. Why? Because that's where I got to go to get my joy renewed and to get my strength renewed and to get my mind renewed and to lay my burdens down. And what evil doesn't realize is if I can just make it to church, and sometimes, I don't know about you, sometimes I got to drag here. Sometimes I got to limp here. Sometimes I got to crawl in here. But I'm going to get in here somehow in some way. And what you didn't realize is when I get to church, I'm going to get surrounded by other disciples who've been stoned through the week as well and who come to be inspired and to shake off the stones as well. And when I get here, something happens to my feet. Something happens to my hands. Something happens to my tongue. Something happens to my spirit. Old folks said I said I wasn't going to tell nobody, but as I sit there, Something got the stirring on the inside and I got the feeling the fire that was burning on the outside and as a result I had to raise my hand and I said I wasn't going to tell nobody but I started thinking about the goodness of God and all that he's done for me and how this is not the first time I've been stoned and it's not the second time I've been stoned and it's not the third time I've been stoned and every time I've been healed by God's hand I said I wasn't going to tell nobody but I had to say thank you God I said I was going to sit in that seat but I got running in my feet and I got joy in my soul and I had to testify the Lord is too good for me just to sit down and not remember how he's delivered me from every stoning that I've experienced. Watch the text. They gathered around Paul. They thought that they had left him for dead. When they gathered around him, he arose. Can't tell you how many times, and I think you can testify, you've come to church with such a heavy burden, and you had to crawl, you had to drag, you had to limp, but when church was over with, I was able to rise one more time and get ready to go back to where I was previously stoned at that I might continue the journey. Look at the text. It said that when they got around Paul, he arose and he entered the city. That was puzzling to me because if, if I think about this right, I'm thinking 
that if Paul were any kin to me, why would I go back to where they just stoned me? In fact, whenever I'm injured or hurt, the very first thing I want to do is get as far away from the injury, the space, and the people that I possibly can get. But yet, because Paul has been surrounded by other disciples, now Paul is infused with the Holy Spirit. I am convinced that underneath that stoning, Paul had a conversation with God, and God infused Paul where he stands up in the midst of what seems to be a dark moment, and in the strengthening of his feet, and the strengthening of his heart, and the strengthening of his hands, all is restored because Paul is surrounded by those who testify with him, and yet I, in my own context as well as yours, can see where Paul is empowered by the Spirit as we are to stand up again when life says it's no more. See, I wonder, were there in the minds of those who crossed the Edmund Pettus Bridge the first time and were met by such opposition and oppression and were driven back, did they say to themselves, I'm not going back anymore? This is not worth the clubbing and the beating I witnessed or I experienced myself. But something in them stood up and made them go back across the bridge again. Maybe it's the cause. Maybe it's the power of the cause. But whatever it was, it induced them with the power to return, although they appeared to have failed in the first go round. See, by the use of the word induced, that simply means that, that something is being led or being moved to a course of action and being influenced by persuasion. What influenced them to go back to the state and the sheriff's billy clubs once again with the potential of possibly either being deeply injured or possibly even being killed? And I tell you what it was. It was not looking merely at the moment of your oppression. It was thinking about the moment of my freedom in the future that I wouldn't have to endure the billy club or be faced with the opposition and the opposers who wouldn't want me to have the chance to walk into that voting booth and cast my ballot. They were willing to die that I might have a right to walk in that voting booth. We lose sight of their willing to be stoned and left for dead, not realizing you stoned me once, but because we serve a God who never reduces to the challenge of the enemy, they kept standing up again and coming back for more insult that they may gain the passageway of freedom. I think about those young men and women who sat in that lunch counter, Worldworth, down there in Greensboro and endured the humiliation of being spat upon, 
But then I got to reading in Matthew 27, where when they finished with Jesus in Pilate's judgment hall, they began to spit in his face and then pulled him by the beard and then began to taunt his life. And I got to thinking, if Jesus was willing to do such a thing that I might have a right to the tree of life, then that must be the inspiration that gave Amelia Boynton the energy to march herself across that bridge a second and third time after being injured by the policeman's billy club. I'm just trying to tell you, God will always give you the last ovation when you're willing to follow through in obedience on what God has because I am more than a conqueror through Christ. It helps me to go back to context that otherwise I would avoid. Very closely. The Bible says in verse 21, uh, at the end of verse 20, that when Paul stood up, the next day he and Barnabas goes to Derby. And in going to Derby, look what he does. 21. He preaches the gospel in the city. And in preaching the gospel, he made many disciples. Wait a minute. He is stoned. He is injured. He may not be up to full strength, but I believe his injuries caused those who looked at him to be inspired. See, when I think about the wounding of his brow with that crown of thorns that the soldiers planted that they got from the thorn tree outside of the Praetorian Hall. When I think about the mocking of the robe that they placed on Jesus' shoulders and they bowed down and said, we hail you king of the Jews. When I think about the grabbing of his facial hair and the spitting in his face and the slapping of his face and when I think about the wounds in his hands and the wound in his feet and the injury in his side, I think about who would give themselves for me a lost sinner. And I am induced with power to persevere when I see the price that Jesus paid for me. That's why you can never cease from singing the grand old hymn, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain, but he washed yeah, so you, you, you don't shout off of that because that, that, that's not, the, that's not the, the physical material stuff. That's God working to make sure that the enemy doesn't win the battle to win my soul. But he takes his blood and wash me. And he paid it all. And all to him I owe. That's the reason why when I'm injured by the stones, I can't give up. You can't give up. And if you feel like it, just look to the hill and remember what price he paid that we might be free on this celebration this morning. Look at the text. Paul went back and began to make disciples in Derby, and I believe they saw his wounds and were inspired. I have a Muriel picture, really not a Muriel picture in my 
in my family room downstairs of a slave who has an enormous amount of whips on his back. You've seen it if you've done some historical studies. I look at that every single day. I have a picture of the slave ship and its breaking of the compartments in which they stored us in transporting us from the African shores through the Middle Passage to what's now the Americas. I look at it every single day. It may not mean much to you, but it means everything to me because I'm sitting here thinking, why in the world would you suffer such horror? In fact, some of them didn't. Some of them jumped live overboard. I'd rather be dead in my grave, sleeping, and go home to be with my Lord than to be a slave is what some of them had particularly said. When I look at that image, I think about the price that they paid that although I might be driving while black a crime, I still can drive. And although they may try to keep me out of the voting booth, I'm still going to show up. And although I can't see the systemic racism that exists, it won't stop me. Because my ancestors showed me the wounds that they received that I might have a freedom. And that's the stuff we ought to be shouting about. That's the stuff we ought to not forget in our hearts and minds. That's the stuff we need to impress in the young men and women that we are raising. History. That's the reason why whenever you are captured as a slave or as a soldier of an army, the first thing you want to do is rid you of your history. Because if I cut you off from whence you come, you won't know the value of who you are. And that's why I look at, I take slavery seriously. Black folk hate to talk about slavery. If you think it's just something of the past, I might encourage you to get your head out of the sand and recognize the residue of slavery now. See, just because they don't put you in chains doesn't mean you ain't enslaved. And doesn't mean they're not trying to enslave you. This ain't in the text, but it insinuated in the text. So I got to tell you about it. It's important that you understand historically why you need to know and you need to recognize and you need to look at the scars of your ancestors. Because my ancestors took those scars and turned them into stars for me. And as a result, now I have bright illumination. Thank God for the Nat Turners and the Gabriel Brucers, those who were willing to rise up against evil. And it cost them their life. But without a revolution, without a revolting, we may not experience the comforts that we have now. So that's why I honored Amelia. Boynton. Thank you, my dear sister. You took that blood.
front, on the back of your shoulders, and on your neck, and you live to be a ripe 104 years old, and I am convinced the officer that injured you probably died a long time ago. And if he did, he probably died in misery knowing that he was administering injustice to a people who did not deserve such. But God is good. And what God will do, if you wait, and if you can endure, there is a turning around that God does when you're willing to persevere and let God do. And I'm convinced that Paul went back to these spaces because Paul knew if they see my scars, they will get inspiration to grow. And look at what verse 22 says. When he left Darby, he went back to Lystra to the very place that stoned him. But look what the text says. He went back to Lystra and to Iconian and to Antioch, verse 21. Verse 22, to strengthen the souls of the disciples. Paul says, they're going to get the story in the news, but they need to see me for themselves. He not only strengthened the souls, look at the text, he encouraged them to continue in the faith. See, every time I look at that slave ship on my wall and every time I look at those markings on my ancestors' back, I got to tell you, when I listen to the modern day news and what appears to be the silence in the inactivity of God, I feel like throwing in the towel and says, God, you're not living up to what your word says. But those images tell me, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. See, they come back to encourage me to continue in the faith. And when I think of my great, 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 great grandfather who was a slave himself, I think of the image there and I got to hang on until my change comes. I got to hang out, Exum, until God makes the transformation completely from what I see as evil into the glory of his goodness. Look at this text. He did that, and then I'm done. Look what he says. I had to go back and tell him also, we got to go through much tribulation to experience the kingdom. Wait a minute. Hold on. Hold on, Paul. Can you see him? Can you see him in your mind? Hold on, Paul. You mean to tell me that God has a sign for us to go through this drama that we might experience the kingdom? Absolutely. Because Paul says to us, every time you wake up in the morning and you can quickly discover that you are not in the obituary, that's a time of celebration. Every time you look over and you discover that family members of your loved ones are still with you, that's a time of celebration. And every time you look out in the public atmosphere and you hear of job loss and you are still in the category of the employed, that's a time of celebration. 
And every time you look out and you recognize the homelessness that's shown across the world, and yet there you are in the comfort of space that protects you from the elements of the weather, that's a time of celebration. And every time you look out and you see these sad stories about those on television who don't have clothes or food, and you look at your table and see there's more than enough, that's a time of celebration. That's God's way of telling you through many tribulations we will get there and understand that the prosperity preachers ain't telling you the whole truth because in this world says Jesus you will have some tribulation but be of good cheer because as I have overcome the world so shall you overcome in other words you are not going to get through this life without having some dark days and some crying moments and some disappointing moments and some heartaches and some broken hearts but God promised to be there with us every single time and the Bible says in the book of Psalms that God is not a man that he should lie and if he doesn't lie all I got to do is hang on to his truth. And his truth says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. The Lord gave, and the Lord can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Luke tells us in this story, verse 19, that Paul made a helpful decision not to die. And I came to tell someone today, you may have been stoned and you may be being stoned, but make a decision not to die. I will not allow their stoning to take my life. Secondly, Luke says in verse 20, clause B, that Paul had a hopeful determination to rise from the ashes. There are those who want to put out your fire because they can't handle the fact that you burn with bright illumination. But you let them know you may can put out the fire, but it will instantaneously start up all over again. Because the God that I serve is an unquenchable fire. And Paul made a decision, says clause B of verse 20, to rise up. And I'm telling you, rise out of the ashes because your oppressor has turned around and walked away believing that you are dead, they should have checked your pulse. Because you are still alive and well. And then, and then Luke says in verse 21 and 22 that Paul made a healing decision to heal others with his own wounds because he went back to the cities to strengthen those disciples and to encourage them to show them his wounds and let me give you this closing line we need to see your wounds particularly if they're healed and then we need to see them when they are healing because both tell a story 
when there are healing, that tells me that God is in the antiseptic business of making sure that your body is not completely poisoned by the objection to which you've experienced, and he's healing you although you're wounded. When you have fully been healed of your wound, that's a walking testimony that I've been through the fire. And yet I met a physician who promised me and then showed me how he would heal me. And so no matter where you are in being wounded, God will heal you. But God will use your healing to help others heal from the same wound. So understand you are never alone in your injury. Somebody else has been injured just as you are. In fact, it may be even deeper. But remember, God can use you to heal those who don't believe healing is possible. And that's what Paul did. God used him to go back and show the wounds and to heal those who needed that healing. You are here today not by accident, but by divine purpose, I believe. So much so that God just wants you to know that I don't care how bad they stone you. Shake it off. I don't care how bad you have been wounded. I'll heal you. And when I heal you, don't be ashamed or afraid to tell somebody else that I've been wounded. because he made a public display at Calvary of being wounded. And when they thought that in humiliating him going to the cross and then at the cross, that that would be the end of him. But oh, I told you, they just didn't know. The first day of the week was coming. And Matthew says, early in the morning on the first day of the week, he arose. But he arose with all power in his hand. Jesus did a symbolic thing to show us that you can get up from whatever cross they put you on. Because God power on the inside of you through the Holy Spirit to be induced with a getting up power like never seen before. Lord, we pray that the words of our mouth would be acceptable in your sight lift somebody this morning who came in burdened down who came in suffering from the injury of the stones God heal them that they might recognize that you are Jehovah Rapha a healer that you'll bring them back to full health and strength